please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the bell so that you get notified every time we drop an episode and you don't miss out on anything if you're about to listen please just subscribe you can always you know come back and unsubscribe if you don't like it but please subscribe first thank you do it right now right now hit the button (laughs) let's go Okay, <clears throat> speaking to the microphone, sexy. Well, waka waka. Hey, hey, hey. This one's for Africa. Did that song would um, fly now? What's that? Would that song fly now? What song? Waka waka. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dirty Lie Podcast. My name is Desua. I am here with. Hi, I wish you let me follow my instructions. I am here with TMT unexpectedly. This is unexpected that mm-hmm. I am back here with TMT is clutch. TMT is the king. TMT is in charge. TMT is a prince. TMT is from Ibadro. TMT like, is fresh. Hi, hello. hi, friend. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm just um, living my life one day at a time. Living my life like it's golden. I mean, you should, because, you know, people are dying every day, so. <laughs> I, I know, Grim, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a new year. It's been the longest February on record, and that is surprising to say after we had a very long January. Now, we are going to try and clean up our audio, but in case you hear a noise in the background, please note it is the AC. And in case you are not in Nigeria experiencing this heat wave, you may not understand. (laughs) You will never understand. You will never understand what our eyes have seen. Global warming put its foot on our necks. I wonder if even contributed like that. Honestly, it's so unfair. It is so unfair that us in the global south will have to pay more than those in the west. China. And China. Um, it doesn't, yeah. I said this this morning on TV. In case you guys don't know right now, I am on TV. I'm on TV yeah. sometimes. This is a leap year. This is a leap year. Yeah, I was looking at my calendar and I was like, oh, this is a leap year. So like February is wrapping it up soon. 29. It was even longer than expected. Oh, <laughs> that's what leap means. <laughs> if you're born on the 29th of February, like, how do you hack it? Do you feel... If you're born on the 29th of February, that means that, like, when you should be turning 30, actually, like... Four? Four or something, yeah. Is it every seven or four years or I what? I think it's every four years. Every four years. Every every four years. So your birthday is every four years. You know, there's a way for us to fix our calendar so we don't have leap years and we have an equal number of months and stuff like that. But oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have that. Shout out to Julius Caesar. Yeah, no. I was born in a month that's named after Julius Caesar. Mm. But yeah. So today we're talking about stuff. <laughs> July. Yes, I was Was born. named after Julius Caesar? Yes. How? I mean, yeah, but like, why? Because the Romans were in charge of the calendar. So we used the Roman calendar. Mm-hmm. The Gregorian calendar. Yeah. Which is named after the Roman calendar. I think so, yeah. It's based, it's, a, it's an updated version of the Roman calendar. Yes. July yeah. is named after Julius Caesar. They added two months there, one to celebrate him, and um, one one of them was Julius July. There's that Drake song where it says July. That's the month I found out that you lie. That you, when you say like July, like July. 
I'm going to edit that out of this episode. <laughs> that sounds like a teasy lyric. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's slimy you out. Uh, he does one for every day of the month. So, can I read it to you? No, do I? Okay, because, okay, fine. But, yeah. like, welcome back to the show, everyone. <laughs> About to hit you guys up with some serious topics. So, maybe maybe this will ease you in. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Lube them up. January, you pretend to see life clearly, yearly. February is the time that you put the evil eye and the pride aside for the fantasy of getting married. Very scary. March, you're already second guessing titles. April, spring is here, and just like spring, you start to spiral. <laughs> just like it's spring, you start to spiral. May bring some warmer days. Full side, getting very tan. June, you move. June, have you moving ice cold? Going back and forth with a married man. July, that's when I find out. That's when I found out you lied. August, it was baby this, baby that, like you had your tubes tied. September, we're falling off, but I'm still the one you're trying to win over. October is all about me because your turn should have been over. November, November got you mood boarding for next year and you're single. December, the gift giving month, and now you want to rekindle. So, yeah, every day of the month. You know something? There is not one new Drake song I listen to that makes me go, wow, why is he single? (laughs) Why is he a single father? This is bizarre. He sounds like a good guy. I've never, ever felt like that. I felt like that. October, your turn is supposed to be over. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's mm -hmm, great. Thank you so much. October's very interview. Yeah. Okay. um, We're talking about serious topics today. Okay. I was just like, you know, why do light stuff i went on the internet and i promised everyone two episodes of the dirty night podcast every month <laughs> how's that going you know mm-hmm. what february based off it being a leap year you're gonna just pretend it's two but we're gonna okay. get in march yeah so today's topic is revolts and riots we've done this before with the firemen and the clowns when you were in charge yeah and because you're a good guy, you gave us some light stuff and some heavy stuff. But because I have no hearts left in me, mm. I'm giving you slavery. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you Nigerian tribal violence. Oh, God. And I'm giving you the deadliest day ever. <laughs> the deadliest day ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that Pearl Harbor? Pearl Harbor? No, America just likes to centralize themselves in deadly stuff. Like unless it's unless it's a school shooting, they're not winning. Okay, what 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 continent was it on? Let's let's get it. Let's get into this. Also, I've been thinking about etymology a lot. Does revolt come from revolution? Do you reckon, or does revolution come from revolt? Something something to think about. If you're listening, don't Google it. Don't cheat. Just ask people. Argue with your friends. See who makes the most compelling argument. Then after they've made that compelling argument, Google it and find out if they were right or wrong. And if they were wrong, laugh at them. I'm really happy that you've chosen to be more mature in 2024. So this week's facts. What is true? What is a dirty lie? In 1945, there was a revolution that shook Nigeria. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. No? Possibly. The general strike. Yeah. The general strike of 1945. We've spoken about this, right? Yeah. I don't know if we've done it on the podcast or just amongst ourselves. No, we've done it on the podcast. Okay. So the general strike of 1945 shook Nigeria. Mm. Apart from that, we had a serious riot. The first recorded riot that was prolonged. 
between Igbo and Igbo and Hausa people in Joss, and it started over the sale of a monkey. Nothing good has ever come from the sale of a monkey. I always tell people that that's something I I'm always saying. Yeah. That's true of us. You know, the first one of the first recorded instances of tribal riots yeah. between Igbos and Hausa yeah. happened of the sale of a monkey. The sale of a monkey. It's racist. Hmm? That's racist. Yeah, yeah. White people can't do this show. Are they? What is it? So white people can't do this show. No, but they also I don't know. Do you, do you, does anyone listen to us who's not who's from the Isle of Caucasus? Yeah, <laughs> you think we have like white listeners? I think one or two. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Nice to have you here, Chocolate City. <laughs> you can't do this show. <laughs> you can't say the violence erupted between two tribes in Nigeria and it was over the sale of a monkey. That's a crazy. That will get you done. Finished on. I mean, it might get me done, but thank God I. Bini, like I'm an Edu girl, I feel like it's just like a cop out. I can talk about you, Wazubia people. Yeah. With ease. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fact two. Fact two. A slave ship called the Little George. Another thing, I find it very interesting that like Bini is not is not considered part of Wazubia because it's like I feel like as far as numbers, you guys have numbers, mm. and as far as like culture history largest empire in west africa at a point like well it just it's so bizarre that like <laughs> oh we're not part of us yeah someone said that to me recently someone was like don't you take insults and i was like ah I, let, is it? Okay. I was like let those kids duke it out amongst themselves you know like yeah. right now it's the Ado state gubernatorial elections in september you guys also have oil this is sorry it's just bizarre that it's, way what like, yeah, I'm just thinking about economic, but you have resources. When you so. got it, you ain't got to flaunt like that. We ain't, we ain't got to fight for supremacy. It's a number. I think you are forgotten. Because it was I, white people that made, that made like, the major division as far as, far as like, the period. Yeah. So, so, I think it's interesting you say this forgotten thing. Because when we get into mm-hmm. our facts, we have to go back to the fact. I already said one fact. But when we get into our facts today, you're going to see the role the British played in our division is deeper than just... Yeah. It's deep. Yeah. Hold on. I need to check. Okay, so fact two. In 1730, the Little George ship revolt happened when a ship, a British ship called Little George left the Isle of... Isle of? Left Nigeria with 96 slaves heading towards North American colony of Rhode Island. And after a few days, the 96 slaves were able to revolt, take the ship back to Africa, run it aground. They tried to get back to Nigeria, but couldn't. So they run it aground in Sierra Leone, went inland and got some of their homies to come out and take out the men who were on the ship. Who are still on the wait, ship. Wait, wait. Did they drive the ship themselves? Yes. Who taught them how to do that? I don't... We're going to go into the story. But in 1730, there were 96 Africans aboard a slave ship heading towards Rhode Island. Where were they leaving from? They were leaving from Nigeria. They're leaving from Lagos. This is the Little George Vault of 1730. There are 96 people on this ship. About four days in... They start a revolt. They are able to overcome the ship. I imagine the they, were British... sloppy. Well, they were sloppy, the captain. 
They were able to overcome the captain and the crew of the ship and turn it back to Africa, towards Africa. Mm-hmm. And they ran it aground in Sierra Leone and, and they ran inland, but they didn't run away. They ran inland and got some goonies. <laughs> because they had obviously this ship had taken so much damage from the revolt yeah. the ship had taken so much damage from the revolt that the British guys couldn't go back right yeah. so they went inland to get some guys in the interland to come and finish the job and, okay and that's the fact because obviously they couldn't go back to Lagos because that's like a port that's city. the fact they'll get in trouble again okay that's a good one man. Okay. <laughs> they're all good what's the final one the final one is La Revolution in Colombia. Mm. And is so sorry, it's not La Revolution. The last fact is La Violencia in Colombia, which is South America, was a period of extreme violence. And in Colombia, there was a period of extreme <laughs> violence. What? Okay, no. That but... is crazy uh, and just unfathomable. Here is the kicker. Right. It started when a prominent Colombian politician and leader of the Liberal Party, Jorge Elelcia Gaitan, was assassinated. Yeah. And his assassination led to the death of 10,000 people in five hours. Approximately. Or 5,000 people in 10 hours. Let's check my notes again. Mm. But thousands of people died in a couple of hours following the assassination of Jorge Galatón, a Colombian politician and leader of the Liberal Party. He was like an opposition leader. He was assassinated. And the riots that broke out put rioting to shame. (laughs) In a very short period of time, a lot of people died. Like in the first couple of hours, thousands of people died. Okay. So those are your facts. I think... I'm going to say the monkey one is true only because I just desperately want it to be true. Mm. And I mean, it's sad, obviously, but still, monkeys make me laugh. The ship one, I also really want that to be true because I'm just in my head imagining them having overcome the ship and the captain and they're just dishing out slaps anyhow. Because you know, Lagos people like to slap people. So they're just slapping. The captain up and down. Thing. I assure us how to use this dude. And the captain's like, well, it's called we. And then he's slapping. Did you tell you what it's called? We ask what it's called. Show us how to use it. How do, we want, how do we go there? What's there? I believe that's Ghana. I always go there. And they ended up in Sierra Leone. I like that. Mm. So I'm, I'm already like visualizing that in my head. Um, the Colombian one sounds really tragic. Um, so I don't feel like... It's something you would like which represents just to win this game because obviously you have ethics and morals and that's why I trust you as a person. Really? So I'm going to go with uh, the monkey one being... Oh, no, no, no. Would I, I think... make up... Would, okay. Would I make up a monkey dispute? Yeah, I don't think you would. Like that just seems like... Why would you do that? Yeah. You're wading into culturally sensitive waters here yeah um, or would i make up the number of deaths maybe i fudged the numbers up no you already admitted to not being sure about the numbers so i don't okay. think the numbers are like the and then did i make up the little george ship revolt no that's not little george sounds like a street in lagos island first of all so <laughs> i think it's real i think actually i think that's the one i think that's the dirty lie i think that revolt happened but you've thrown some locations around and some numbers you've cooked you've cooked the books in a sense. So I think it's that one. 
a happy new year. I'm happy that you're starting the year off on the right path because oh. yes, oh. you did win. I did cook the books because they were not Nigerian per se. Uh, see? The slave captives were not Nigerian see per se. Saying. There were 96 enslaved people on the little drawership that did happen. Was it Haiti? Huh? Was it Haiti? No, it was the Gulf of Guinea. Okay. It's been, from what I can tell, it's a little bit unclear where the captives were from. Um, they could have been Nigerian, Ghanaian, Sierra Leonean. It's kind of unclear. They're definitely they... Nigerian. <laughs> Only Nigerians are annoying enough to take over a ship. A ship. But then the ship left from the Banana Islands, which is off the coast of Guinea, which is, I believe, modern day Sierra Leone. Banana Islands is crazy. Banana Island, yeah. yeah. But we do have a Banana Island. Yeah. So what is so crazy about it? No, I'm saying like that's crazy, like. Yeah. Now they named that? Yeah. Racismo. Racismo. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the Little George ship because this revolt took place on a British ship named the Little George in June of 1730. And it is a little known revolt. And it is one of the most successful uprisings of captured Africans on the high seas in history. So it's not, even though it, it's not very popularly known or very well known. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most successful revolts ever. Mm -hmm. So the revolt happened five days after the ship had sailed off the coast of Guinea and they were trying to bring slaves from West Africa to the British North American colony of Rhode Island. Fun fact about Rhode Island. I was born there. <laughs> really? Yeah. Rhode Island is um, full of... Is that one that's full of policemen? No, that's Staten Island. That's uh, Staten Island. Rhode Island is a state yes. in America. It's on the East Coast. It's near New York, right? It's near... I guess, yeah. It's near, it's near New York. Mm -hmm. There's nothing much there except for Brown University and the hospital. And the fact that I was born there. <laughs> so now, the revolt began when several Africans were able to slip out of their iron chains. Now, they were already being treated really badly. I mean, they're five days in, they've been chained, to, they've been chained together. Mm -hmm. They have been chained, like, you know how the slave ships were? They were yeah. tightly packed. Yeah. They were in inhumane conditions. Yeah. And first, a few Africans were able to slip out of their chains and then they got everybody ready, ready to revolt. Now... You won't stand for this slavery, they said. <laughs> yeah they said they're not like i think it's something to be said about the fear of first of all the, there's the inhumane treatment but there's also the fear of the unknown because mm -hmm. like it's, this is 1730 right yeah. like these are people who there's a point of no return and they made the right choice because really what's happening here is that like we know what would have happened to them had they gone to the other America. Yeah, if they've gotten to, gone to America in 1730, like yeah, how many of them would have survived that? And yeah. like the, the horrors that their generations would have faced, even if they did survive. I mean, we know, <laughs> yeah. we know a lot about that. But okay, so how did they slip their shackles over how their capture, seize the boat and head back to Africa? Let's go. Yeah. Um, so some, Sources I've seen say that they embarked from Banana Island in present-day Lagos, Nigeria, but that is false. That's um, so false. It is very false. I think there is a mistake because there are Banana Islands on the coast of Guinea. And when you see Banana Island now, people think Lagos, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why I threw but the wrench in there. Ghost, which was quite popular back in the day. Okay. Yeah. Really? Have you seen it? No. Have you heard of it? No. Fair enough. So on this 
but you have spices and things from Africa that they're obviously uh, taking. Yeah. But you also have 35 African men and 61 African women. Jesus Christ. Yes. So it's 96 enslaved Africans. And about five, six days into the journey, one African captive managed to free himself from the shackles and then he unchained several other captives. Around 4 a.m. on June 7th, while most of the crew was asleep, a group of Africans broke through the hull and stormed the ship's deck. When they got on deck, they were they were confronted by three of the watchmen, the deck watchmen, and they swiftly overpowered them, killed them, and tossed their bodies overboard. Nice. And grabbed their weapons before they Impulsive. tossed them into the sea. Impulsive. When one of the watchmen tried to alert the rest of the crew, they tried to like bundle him, but he was still able to alert some of the crew. Like mm-hmm. guys, no. it's good. <laughs> yeah. <This thing's> <laughs> The Negroes are on their way. So with the crew alerted to this revolt and breakout, they grabbed their weapons and they rushed to the deck to try and put down this mutiny. Mm-hmm. And a fight ensued and the Africans killed several of the British crew. Now, the rest of the crew surrendered except for the captain, George Scott, three crew members and a young boy who had fled into the captain's cabin and barricaded themselves inside and really? you know by the door what? this young boy where is he from i'm not sure but like i imagine it's like a young you know because they would have these boys who do their laundry serve their food or whatever like okay. it's like a yeah. that's what i'm imagining boy. like a house boy yeah so you yeah, have three yes yeah. so you have you have your three crew members you have the captain, George Scott, and you have this young boy, and they've, you know, gone to the cabin, they've barricaded the the door. Now, after this, the African captives are like, we're good, yo. So they go and they unchain the rest of the captives, right? And they have their hostages, the, <laughs> the rest of the crew <laughs> that surrendered. And they now are like, okay. It's, I'm the captain now. So they take over the ship. They take control of the ship. And one of the British crew members who was barricaded, now mind you, the British crew members and the captain are barricaded in there. So it's like five guys in the captain's cabin. And they're thinking we can take her back from the Africans. Like, what do they know? Right. So they come up. One of them comes up with a brilliant idea. (laughs) I'm so excited. Let me make a bomb. Okay. So he feels... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what? They're like, this is do or die. Um, The Negroes have taken over, bro. He said, let's make a bomb. So apparently he fills a bottle or some type of container with gunpowder. And he... So the idea was he'll fill it with gunpowder, throw it into a group of Africans and like set... And like it would go... Yeah. you know and cause like serious casualties mm-hmm. right um the africans deflected the bottle and deflected it back to them and it landed on a keg of gunpowder causing it to explode severely damaging the ship it also caused the doors of the captain's cabin to blow open Gravely injuring the captain, George Scott, Mm -hmm. and causing a chain of explosions with the fire. (laughs) Several 
of the British crew members now use this melee to break loose, grab their weapons, and attack the Africans. But this was a strong group of Negroes because no one of them was injured. I mean, yeah, good. <laughs> no one African was injured in the fight that ensued. They retreated to the deck from the cabin. The Africans retreated and the crew members, the British crew members, because, you know, they had these group of hostages before. So they have now been able to use this to like escape and go to the bottom. But the Africans stay on deck and they then attempt to shield the ship back from whence they came. Mm -hmm. So some sources say they were trying to sail back to Nigeria, but essentially they're trying to sail back to that western coast of Africa, to the Gulf of Guinea. Yeah, they're trying figure, to sail back. They'll still, yeah, you figure out when you get home. Like, Across that bridge. <laughs> my <laughs> or my Accra. I'd rather be here though. <laughs> I'd rather be here though. <laughs> yeah. So the Africans attempt to sail back and they, on the Atlantic for several days, and for several days, they engage in a gunfight with the crew below deck. And like, it's not like, oh, they just took over the ship and then it was smooth sailing. Yeah. First, they're trying to figure out how to navigate the ship. And they're on a constant, like, on and off gun battle yeah. with the British crew mm -hmm. who are, you know, below deck. So they, they don't reach... They reached the Gulf of Guinea. They run aground in Sierra Leone mm -hmm. and they abandoned the ship. But now this, mind you, like they've managed to take a ship that was four or five days out into the ocean and bring it back home. Mm -hmm. But the ship is, and this is a ship that is damaged. This is a ship that they've been in a constant battle to like even get home. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So they get back and they run the ship aground. It's a damaged ship. So the British crew who are below deck can't leave. But the Africa, like the ship is too damaged for them to yeah. actually leave the coast. Yeah. But the Africans get off the ship and they go inland into modern day Sierra Leone. Mm. Amazingly, with the bombing, the shackling, the days on sea, everything, all 96 of the African people survived that ordeal did they settle in Sierra Leone? they didn't settle when they got there they didn't <laughs> they were like it's not over jackie because once they got to Sierra Leone, they went inland and then found some of the natives of the area in which they had landed that ship and came back with some more firepower mm. to end captain george scott and his crew did they kill them they did not. They killed several. <laughs> they killed several. But the captain survived and a few others. They had abandoned ship and they jumped boats, took a smaller boat, mm. and they sailed away. And after several days adrift at sea on that smaller boat, the captain and the surviving crew were rescued by another slave ship on its way to Rhode Island. And... When he got to Rhode Island, Captain George Scott recounted his ordeal and a version of his ordeal was published in the 1700s. Did it make him out to be the hero? No, it was very... Shall I read what he wrote? It's yes. just like a one-pager. It's just a... It doesn't make them... It's just very like, this is what happened. Mm. Fair enough. We were trying to do a bad thing. It didn't work. 
Yeah, but you know the language they use. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let me let me just quickly read out the ordeal as it's as it's written in slave mutiny's book so he wrote the ordeal and somebody wrote about it so this is not his skinny but this is basically this is like the summary of what he wrote george scott in the sloop little george sailed from the guinea coast with a cargo of 96 slaves 35 of whom were men six days later the slaves slipped out of their shackles and at 4 30 in the morning attacked the ship Breaking through the bulkhead, they gained the deck where they were confronted by the watch of three men. These slaves then quickly dispatched and pitched overboard. (laughs) These men, the slaves quickly dispatched and pitched overboard. Terrified, the captain, three men and a boy sought refuge in in the cabin below, where the slave promptly imprisoned them. One of the sailors attempted to fashion a bomb by filling two bottles with gunpowder to be thrown amongst the slaves. The stratagem was thwarted by a Negro who dropped an axe. An axe. <laughs> oh, sorry. This is so funny. Um, this <laughs> This stratagem was thwarted by a Negro who dropped an axe on the bottle just as a sailor lighted the fuse. The explosion set fire to a keg of powder, blew open the cabin door, raised the deck, discharged all except one musket, and seriously injured both the captain and the bomb maker. Determined to wipe out the crew, the slaves loaded one of the carriage guns and fired it down the scuttle where the slaves where the sailors were imprisoned. According to the captain, the blast blew the scuttle all to pieces, but no one was injured. For several days, the slaves controlled the ship, while the captain and the remainder of the crew, armed with muskets, defended themselves below. Sometime later, the cabin boy, impelled by hunger, ventured upon deck, whereupon the slaves promptly clapped him in irons. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm hungry, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> finally finally the negroes grounded the ship into sierra leone river and ran it aground on a boat. after removing all the women and children they abandoned the ship later they returned with other natives in an attempt to kill the crew but the latter successfully defended themselves with firearms at the first favorable opportunity the captain and the rest of the crew came upon deck lowered a boat and started down the river weak from hunger they were finally rescued after having subsisted for nine days on raw rice and that is the tale <laughs> of the little joe <laughs> no. let's say they promptly clapped him in <laughs> Yeah, you are hungry. I was the captain. But actually, honestly, don't joke about hunger because I do think that hunger is one of the scariest things that exists. Because do you know how much how hungry you have to be for you to be like, you know, uh, there might be a bunch of previously enslaved Negroes on deck, but uh, I need to eat. Yeah, this is better than this. Like it's better than this. Raw rice is crazy for nine days. Raw rice for nine days. I know British people. Do they even really have teeth? <laughs> okay, okay. I think everyone got what they deserve. Really. Huh? I think everyone got what they deserve. Yeah, I think everyone 
what they deserved, I think. I mean, I can't, like, I'm sure Captain George Scott went back to Rhode Island and still probably commanded another slave ship after that. Like, I I didn't do much research on what he did with his life after that, but I would not be surprised if he went back to enslaving Africans because that was a... I'm just, in my head, I'm just like, how did they communicate with the natives in Sierra Leone? I mean, I'm thinking they must have been from around the area or had people amongst them from around the area. Or we just have... And and come with you. you, Like, guy pull up. But also, if you're... They said they were in the Sierra Leonean River. If they were taken from the Banana Islands, it's probably similar tribes or similar linguistic whatever. But also, people around the coast of West Africa at the time would have been very privy to what slavery was. Like, this is 1730s, not the beginning of the slave trade, right? So, people along the coast would, if they see a bunch of guys who don't speak their language, who have been, you know, shackled or have scars or whatever, they would, they would kind of, they would know what's going on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because it's not as if they're the internals. These are people around the beach, around the river, and around the coastline. So these are people who are suffering the most from this, or also seeing it the most. Mm-hmm. Like you know, so yeah, like bro. If imagine also like being that person that gets pulled up on, like you see somebody who you're just like is like clearly enslaved, coming from the ocean, and you're like, how far? You're like, guy took over their ship. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to want to help those guys as as opposed to deny them help but, before they turn their aggression to you. Like, what do you mean? Say, guys, took over the ship. Like, not one of us died. Kids we got too. the women and the kids. Bro, the kids too. <laughs> the, kids. the kids too. Like, we went out to that place, that ocean, the place of no return, and we returned. I think the, champions. I don't know. There's so many crazy stories here, but I think the craziest guy is the guy that took the axe. <laughs> get up to the axe. So what do you feel like? like what, do you, what do you think this is? <laughs> no, that's a good one. Yeah, you know when I saw the story, I was like, oh yeah, let me let's let's I like it. You know, because people are like, I don't want to hear stories about slavery and this stuff. And I'm like, but to watch this. I'm like, I want to hear this one though. Could actually make this like a, a comedy or something. Like an actual comedy. There's two, there's actually, like, you're right though. Like, the guy who threw the axe. Come on, that's just. Like, crazy. I think she was watching. It's just like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, look at that idiot. As he's <laughs> pointing the powder. It's like, what do you think this is? What do you actually think this is? And it's also like the way the, the thing is written from back there is like, it was thwarted by a Negro. Like, like, because there's this idea that we were not intelligent thinking people. Like, do you think, like, I'm sh- like, he was probably just watching us. Susan, 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 he's going to throw it here. <laughs> like, the guy was like, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. No, I also think it's, incredible also because it really did be start from one enslaved person not being properly chained it also shows like the impact one person can have like i because <laughs> they already got confidence from take from like bro escaping their shackles get more confidence from killing those three men every single point in time it's another thing because it says you know they subsisted for like nine days I don't know if they subsisted for nine days after the mutiny or once they got on the boat. But the journey back also is just that, like, imagine also a group of people just trusting that 
we're going to make it back. Like, mm. because it's days on end, not just the fact that they guys underneath you shooting at you. It's also there's this boat, you know, you're not this boat, but you're in a ship, you're in the middle of the ocean and you just have to trust your instincts. Mm. And maybe, maybe somebody there had knowledge, but that, you know, there's a lot of trust, yeah. cooperation, like, I mean, like, it's like also the numbers. Like when you see that many people, that many of you and your people are just around each other. You're like, nah, we have to do something. Something we, has to, something something has to something give. Has to and yeah, these are, I mean, I'll tell you, if I'm going to hear a slave story, it's going to be this. Like this is, this is the type I want to hear. Yeah. Cause they came home man. they, America never saw them. <laughs> So the next story, the monkey story. So that one's a little bit twisty, twisty. I'll leave the La Violenta Colombia for the end. So that after we go through this touchy subject, there's something to jump to. An early Nigerian civil disturbance, the 1945 House of Ibo Riot in Jos. Now, it's really crazy to look through the records of this. A lot of what I've seen written on this happened about maybe 10 years after 10 15 years after which means that the people who are being interviewed and talking about their experience during the riot are coming into a new independent nigeria and they were and this is obviously before the biafra war this is another like 15 years before the war mm-hmm. and so even in their retelling of the story they're like yeah man that was a crazy thing we did like <laughs> we all know that that was dumb like this can't happen again in this country and it's so sad for me to see these kind of things and these still, type of tropes still happen and still play out in the same places as especially it being in the same places and another thing is that when you look at what led to this a lot of it is by design when like it's very hard to look at the violence in Joss today without connecting it to tin mining by British industrialists because it's not that they went there and people weren't mining before but they were like we love nature we're mostly farmers we have our own indigenous ways of mining tin and copper and that are sustainable that are not going to completely destroy this region Mm -hmm. and the british are like industrial era and mind you also this is a time where preceding this you have the first world war and you have the second world war and very important things that happen here is that british were baroque they were broke and they were reliant on our tin our rubber our food and so you have a people who are put being put under strain and by design by design being separated and all of this is it's like it's honestly like a keg it's like a powder keg and so this is what happened so let's talk about what happened in 1945 in october of 1945 the hausa and the ibu of the city of joss fought one another for two days during which at least two people were killed many others injured considerable property was destroyed or damaged and nigerian police and army units had to be brought in from kaduna to restore order Later, one man was tried for homicide, yet there is no report by the Nigerian government on the rioting, nor any mention of it in its annual administrative reports with generally record even minor disturbances. Oh, there's a reason for that. It's coming soon. And yeah, and also the Joss disturbance precedes the Kano disturbance, like the Kano disturbance that's more widely known by eight years and it's probably the first occurrence of extensive intertribal rioting in modern Nigerian history. In this like late colonial era, this is probably the first occurrence of this sustained extensive intertribal rioting. 
Now, the issues that happen in JAWS, there's certain things that we need to think about preceding this, which I've spoken about. One is the wars. First of all, let's start with tin. When tin mining started in JAWS, they had to, they had an issue with was workforce. They did not have enough laborers. They did not have enough miners. And so they were importing miners. This was primarily Yoruba and Hausa people. It was primarily Hausa people. And also Yoruba people were coming in. It was not the locals who were like Tiv and all these like other tribes. Um, secondly, apart from the tin mining boom, you also had the railway lines. So the railway ended at Joss. It came from Portacot up to Joss and it ended at Joss. With the railway coming in, you then had Igbo people coming in through from Portacot through that region, coming straight into Joss, right, to find work because it was booming. And Joss's economy started to grow beyond just the tin mining because, you know, there's timber, because of the transportation routes, because of the rail line, the city of Jos and Jos itself, the economy was diversifying, it was growing, you had traders coming in. So then you had like large numbers of the Wazobia coming into Jos, right? Mm-hmm. Now, at that same time, around 19, 1930s, 1940s, you have maybe what you call an exodus of around those 1940s, not even 1940s, you have an exodus of the European miners, the European business owners leaving just. This is in the face of World War II is just coming to an end. There's a lot of agitation for independence. Industries are shifting and you have an exodus of European miners. And it was interpreted by local people to mean the removal of colonial um, administration, which would mean the reestablishment of their own traditional autonomy. But that meant like the actual locals, first of all, the actual village people thought, okay, if the Europeans are leaving, it's our turn to get our our own thing back. But at the same time, you had elders and religious leaders amongst these other communities that have come, particularly the Hausa, who had been established there for the longest and had their own townships they had this idea of like okay well you know now it's they're going so it's our turn because you know there was some type of symbiotic relationship between the Hausa and the British administration Mm -hmm. especially in those regions they had the preferential treatment which is well documented I would say it's that famous letter isn't it yes Oh, and another important thing that happened. Okay, now, I would say that this is one of the most important things that happened, at least from what I'm studying, in the lead up to this particular riot. In 1945, there was the general strike. The general strike was seen as it's seen as watershed moment for Nigeria's independence movement. It's seen as one of the things that helped agitate towards us actually becoming independent from the British. It was a union strike. It was a worker strike. It was a national strike. I believe it went on from June to October. It was quite prolonged. Um, and in this strike, it was mostly people who worked in like the clerks in the British offices were asking for better pay. So you have people who are working as like clerks and businessmen and the unions who are asking for better pay, people who work on the trains, you know, they essentially brought the colonial administration to a halt. Two things about that now. 
One thing is that Namdi Azikwe and the NCNC were seen as being leaders of this general strike. Another thing is that primarily in Jos, in the colonial offices, the people who were the clerks, the people who were the educated or like the higher level, the people who were striking were Igbo. Now, so, <laughs> now, so a lot of people who were working on the trains, ETC, also went on strike. This meant that there was a hunger problem in Jos. There was a slowing down of business problem in Jos. And there was language, both body language, and I would say actual language coming from the British administration, that, part, that partly blamed Namdi Azikwe and in turn the Igbos for this general strike. So when the houses of Joss were feeling an economic pinch, the British administration were saying, it's because of this guy, it's because of this guy Sha. That authorization, mm-hmm. always, there's always somebody who benefits from the discord. And it, it's so hard to like, pull. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So now you have this going on and you have in just at that time, you had the native township, which was used to be known as the Sarkin Arabs Ward, which was sometimes referred to as the Igbo Quarter. Um, it was originally a Hausa settlement before the Igbos came as traders during the war. And from 1914 to 1952, the position of chief of the town, the Sarkin Joss, was always held by a Hausa man. And it seemed, according to some history sources, they felt some type of ownership or possessive attitudes towards this town because they felt that they were originally had always remained the town's largest ethnic population. As I said, 1945 was a tense time because of the general strike, but also it was the end of the Second World War. And it was a year of acute social tension across Nigeria. First of all, you had the wartime conditions of food scarcity, you had high inflation, and you had food rationing. It's something we've spoken about on this podcast a lot that I feel like is not in the Nigerian context. Like, they ration our food and under the context of giving it to English servicemen and diverted that food back to the English homeland, which means food which was meant to feed Nigerian people was being eaten in Sheffield and London and Bristol and wherever. Corruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Corruption during wartime is crazy. And expected. Especially for the country that are extracting so many resources from already. Tin, rubber, ETC. And they also, you know, this is also book I spoke about on our Instagram, which is a platter of gold talks about this, but it also talks about this, especially in relation to Ali Mota. I can't remember her first name is like something, but she was the head of the Market Women's Association. She was the Alaga in Lagos. And because another thing is not only do they ration the food, but they also put price controls. So women couldn't even first of all they were trying to tax women because they had taken so many of our men i think it was two hundred and fifty thousand west african troops i believe mm-hmm. 120 000 of that nearly half of that came directly from nigeria and this was before our massive population boom. boom yeah and this is also at a time where people were essentially being conscripted they used to give chiefs in nigeria quotas so it's like you have to give us a certain number of men if you don't give us we'll take your sons like 
They were being threatened because you know her name was Alimota Pelewura. Mm-hmm. Pelewura, that's what I can remember, yeah. And so you know, she led this, you know, a movement as well. She was friends with Herbert Macaulay. And they, so all these agitations that are going around, it's, this is a time of like, you know how we're tense now? They were tense then. <laughs> and beyond that, there was also this um, issue of like ex-servicemen were coming back and they were badly treated. They expected that they would get some type of economic assistance or financial assistance. But we just had Again, 120,000 of the British West African troops were Nigerian. So you have thousands, hundreds of thousands of men coming back. And I believe none of them were made officers. Yeah. After the war that we had our first officer, I can't remember his name. But during the war, there were no African, West African officers. They were all soldier private. So it was, it was actually just really bad. Like all this resentment from the way they were treated was actually what led to push for independence yes and now as i said so then you know there's this there's all this tension in the country there's hardship there's food inflation there's inflation there's rationing there's you know economy in distress you have thousands of men coming back also you have dynamics have shifted because women were starting to work you have new you had so many new taxes being levied on the average nigerian or tried to be levied on average nigerian during the war so the british could fund their war effort could fund the empire and then you now also have this strike that happens in june of 1945 and joss is in the interland so a lot of supplies that they relied on had to come by rail but with the strike the rail line weren't the rail wasn't working so even this rationing got even more extreme in an area like joss so there is a lot of tension on ground right and this leads us to what's what's going on according to some sources few northerners joined the strike but largely because very few of them were employed in the occupations involved and so from them, from that point of view, it didn't serve them. It wasn't, they weren't included in it. And it was seen as, for some people, it was seen as being brought about by Southerners and more specifically by the Igbo, Namdi Azikwe, and the NCMC. And at this point in time, Namdi Azikwe's influence was actually growing across the country and he was doing it. He had done a Northern tour and, you know, especially because of the strike, he had, you know, mobilized in the north and he was being, he was having, he was doing a tour of the north with other leaders of the NCNC to raise funds and arouse like popular opposition of the Richards Constitution, which is the constitution that was introduced in March of that year. So he was quite, he was also gaining, you know, support and a name for himself. And this agitation being against the Richard's constitution, wanting more indigenous, like essentially agitation of independence, agitation for more representation. Because if you read the Richard's constitution, part of it is that like, we do not have enough Nigerians. Oh, so not you, you people came here and then you're not even allowing us have enough voice, enough representation in our own governance. And so that is what Ezekiel was agitating for and agitating you know, before it was even like not just an independence movement, but also better representation of indigenous people in government. And the British did not like this, obviously, because what do you mean you want more power? 
what do you mean you're going to the remote areas of the north to get funds and rally support like what do you mean we separated you guys for a reason we don't even give you the same type of jobs <laughs> we don't give you access to the same type of education we don't give you the same type of system where are you learning all of this from so like yeah like what makes you think you can come here and be buddy buddy with each other no university did not you have to check that <laughs>